0: We are a benefit to the community where community operate. In fact, our, our local slogan for TCLP Fiber is your community network, because that's what it is, right? People have a voice in this.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in St. Paul, Minnesota today i'm speaking with scott menhart who is the chief technology and information officer at traverse city light and power welcome
0: thank you to have me chris uh, it's been a long time coming and i'm finally glad we got to get together
1: yeah, no, and I you know, I don't even know how long you've worked at uh, TCLP there in Traverse City, but like, I feel like I've been watching Traverse City for like 12 or 15 years wondering uh, if you were all going to make a commitment to build a municipal fiber network or when it was going to happen and whatnot, but, um, but we'll talk today about what's going on there.
0: That sounds wonderful.
1: Yeah, so for people who are not familiar and cannot see your, your hand, the palm of your hand, uh, tell us where Traverse City is and about how big it is
0: uh traverse city is located in northwest lower michigan i say lower michigan because we're not up in the upper peninsula um so it's about an hour 45 minutes from the Mackinac bridge Mackinac city we're right on the uh lakes uh or the shores of lake michigan uh surrounded by beautiful water and beautiful scenery and we are a tourism town at heart um and we uh, year round we've got about thirteen thousand um dedicated residents that you know brutal the winters up here to enjoy the snow and uh, sunshine in the summer
1: have you had any snow yet this year
0: we've had a little bit um it stuck around for a couple of weeks and then kind of dissipated and as of now it's i think it's like 45 50 degrees out which is pretty pretty hot for this time of year you would say yeah
1: so yeah so as as we're recording this which is uh uh the 21st uh, just uh december for i uh, are not exactly sure when this will run in the new year but um uh we are here in minnesota we also uh dry ground it's uh, it's a little bit sad uh we're gonna be above freezing for a while so uh, but i hope that you get some big snow and the winter tourists uh have a great time up there the traverse city light and power utility uh what all does that do
0: we are a local municipality that provides um, reliable electric service to the community and surrounding region. And we also now provide telecom services. In, in addition to that, a couple big focuses are, 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 are on our telecom business infrastructure and on climate action planning. And so we're getting into sustainability models with climate action stuff and really trying to change the world, both through municipal broadband and climate action initiatives um, for you know, clean energy and um telecom broadband internet phones
1: excellent and and you're one of many in michigan at this point i you know i not not like a million of course but like there's a uh, uh, holland Siebel-Wang, uh marshall uh, there's several like cold springs that have been doing uh, the old hfc before they got into the fiber upgrades there's a lot going on in michigan you also have that law that you have to jump through some extra hoops uh, in order to do it uh, but one of the things that you know i think we always see from the municipal electricity. Uh, entities that go on to build these fiber networks is that often the fiber is first and foremost for the electric side. So um, before we get into too much more about the fiber project and where you are, uh, can you just help us better understand the role that the fiber plays in the electric grid?
0: Traverse City Light and Power got into fiber for that exact reason. Back in 2006, we wanted to replace some legacy T1 circuits connecting our substations together, our electrical substations, and we did that with fiber. So we built out two massive city rings to connect all of our substations together, but as you build this out, you have capacity, right? Um, um, cost is in the labor, as many people know, not in the actual strand count density. And so we've we've had spare strands. And so from that point on, we actually started le- leasing out dark fiber infrastructure from 2007 and on. And um, while we got into fiber to start with, was was electrical communications. And why we continue to expand our fiber network was electrical communications. Everything that we're doing with the um, fiber on the telecom side is an ancillary benefit to both the community and to us um, in terms of revenue diversification and also help and just offsetting our grid infrastructure to be able to do some wonderful projects that we have coming up in the the next decade.
1: And so let's talk about the decision-making process. So uh, like many communities, Traverse City, uh, I think, studied it. And looked at it and said, maybe we should do this. And then said, no, it's not the right time. And then studied it again and then said, maybe we should do this. And then eventually found that uh, they saw a set of numbers that looked reasonable. Uh, So walk us through, uh, you know, that process and that timing.
0: I want to touch point on something that you had mentioned the the Michigan telecommunications laws that have us jump through a couple extra hoops that some lobbying efforts were able to slip into there, um, which is that we have to do competitive bids in order to be able to um, build out as a muni and you have to have three or less competitive bids to be able to build out and Fortunately enough, we kind of foresaw that happening and the change, and so we were grandfathered into this legacy um, prior to those changes that went into effect in 2007. So we had to have a public hearing and do a couple of extra steps way back then in 2006 to preclude us from that process. But but we still ended up bidding it out anyways and, and following some of the somewhat of the similar statutes. We just didn't have to go to the nth degree that the new telecom laws state.
1: So I'll just supplement that by noting that. My deep frustration with that is something that I think you, as someone who works for public power, you know, like there's a sense among legislators when they're confronting this argument from lobbyists where they're just like, oh, People in Traverse City need fiber. It doesn't matter where it comes from. Uh, a fiber network operated by you know, a, uh, an international like behemoth would be the same as a locally owned network that uh, is providing the service. And we know that's not true. You know, we, know it in, we know it in electricity. We know it in all manner of infrastructure that who owns the network matters.
0: It really does matter. I mean, we stand for local control, right? I mean, we are a benefit to the community where community operate. In fact, our our local slogan for TCLP fiber is "Your community network" because that's what it is, right? People have a voice in this. It's not just something that is we're stuffing down people's. You know, faces saying, here's our network. This is what you get. And this is the price. They can come to our board meetings. We work with them. I'm always engaging with the community and listening to feedback. We listen to every time we do an install at a customer's house, we get valuable feedback and we actually put those voices into production, right? I mean, we hear enough of X, Y, or Z. We do what the community wants. And that's that's really the benefit. And one of the biggest misconceptions that our incumbents really, really targeted was our ability to um, operate and run a government-owned network, right? We're gone, as you call it, call it. And
1: I would never call it that, but that's no, what they I call know. it. Right? You, I know they
0: call it that. I, I'm not a big fan of that slogan, but um, that's what they're referring to it as. And the reality is they, they came out and said, you're not going to be able to keep up with the technology quick enough, right? You're not going to be able to... That is so far from the truth because the reality is we're smaller and I can scale my network much faster than any national telecom provider out there today because I've got to worry about my single footprint here. You know, I'm not worried about acquisition across multiple states. I'm worried about this region right here. And so where I can build out a network and turn it up and move and move and and keep my network upgraded and launch the latest and greatest it's only impacting this local region right here, and, and we can do that much faster than any large telecom provider can do. Well, and
1: as you said that, it never occurred to me before, but also, you know, as we're sitting here with a federal standard of broadband as 25-3 with, with a proposal that I go up to 100 megabits down, 20 megabits up, who's lobbying to keep it as low as possible? Those biggest companies, they claim to be the ones able to most rapidly adopt new change, but they're the ones who are constantly lobbying to keep it as slow as possible. So, you know, it, it is none, it is always entertaining when you live in that 180 degree world in a in a state, um, a state legislature where they have to deal with those lobbyist arguments and whatnot. It's uh it's usually 180 degrees from the truth.
0: Oh yeah. And and you know, that that speed, that is it. It, we're, we're going into 2024. A 25 by 3 speed is absolutely ludicrous in my mind. I mean, that is just scratching the surface on what you can do with the Internet. And so, I mean, if that is the scale, and, I, and I'm glad there's at least some effort to raise that bar. But, I mean, 100 by 20 is better than 25 by 3. But but come on, we're going into 2024. We're, what does the nation want to do to provide better broadband coverage for the entire nation, not, not have standards of 100 by 20? right? I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. just it's just very low, especially on the upload speed. When, when, when a lot of stuff is becoming more connected in your house, people are working from home, and they really want to start uploading stuff to OneDrive for business and things like that, you can't. You're, you're limited at that point, but pe- the average citizen doesn't understand that limitation, and that's one of the large educational efforts we have to do, providing fiber, symmetrical service, like why would I, what's the benefit of fiber over over coax and, and traditional broadband methods, right? And that upload speed is one of those things that I really touch home on and, and help businesses understand because that, is, and even even homeowners uploading pictures for backups, right? That's a big deal. And you don't get that because everybody just thinks download streaming movies, right? And that's not what the internet is about anymore today.
1: Yeah, no, I, uh, I went through this because, I did not have a robust online backup of my computer because I have a data cap and I have a slow upload connection. Uh, that's been rectified. Uh, you know, and so now I have fiber in my home with no data cap and I have an online backup, and I wish I had had it six months earlier because it would have saved me, I don't know, at this point, 20 or 30 hours of work trying to recover (laughs) from a hard drive failure where I still had everything scattered around, but if I could have just re-downloaded that image, that would have been real nice.
0: I mean, there's tools out there that literally take a snapshot of your computer and upload it. And on your legacy upload speeds, you know, 3 megs, 5 megs, 10 megs, you're looking at hours, right? And so you're not going to do it that often because it takes forever on a fiber connection, depending on your speeds, you're looking at minutes. And so, I mean, most of the stuff that I do now, because I'm on on COEX at home, I'm not privileged yet to have fiber at my my location. And so we have it at the office here. I bring any large upload things that I'm doing in terms of data migration stuff into the office Mm -hmm. because I'm not going to wait and watch that little bar scroll by ever so slowly when it's done in a matter of minutes inside the office.
1: Yeah, and I'll just say many times when i've gone to bed and been like oh, i'll let it finish you wake up and find out 10 minutes after you went to sleep it stopped
0: oh isn't that the worst <laughs> that is the
1: absolute worst let's go back in time like maybe six or eight years ago i think so you need uh fiber optics and you've been investing in fiber optics for the electric side you're going to continue doing that for the electric side at what point does it make sense then to go to the home and uh and to begin offering telecommunication services
0: for us it, it made sense now and um I even want to back it up a step further than that. You were talking about how we got into feasibility studies and business plans and all of that fun stuff. I mean, we you're right. We did in 2006, we did a feasibility study and a business plan. It showed very favorable results then, um, but then the economy took a little bit of a down a down dip right around the 2010. And so we kind of stabilized and waited. And then about 2015, it started to really pick back up. And so we started another study, which we did. We hired um, um, Connexon. They came in and did another feasibility study from us did a short business plan from us then we did another business plan just because we're putting a lot of um um, revenue or ratepayer dollars into this infrastructure we just want to make sure that we're doing the right thing for the community and we uh, then we asked the community should we be doing this and we got a resounding yes i think at our board meetings there was more people at our board meetings discussing fiber than there than they're on the on the electric side right just in support of this and and in support of this infrastructure so we said, well, we're still deploying it for all these other projects that we're doing on the, on the electric side, our AMI project that we did, our cap bank projects that we're doing now, our, our, we're furthering looking at grid diversification where we're sexualizing our grid and putting smart devices out there to reroute power on the fly. You can't do that over Wi-Fi or old school technology because the latency doesn't, is too high. You need, you need fiber medium. That's a requirement for all the stuff that we're doing. We built out a solar array that needed fiber connectivity to be able to disconnect the breakers in near real time that we had to deploy fiber. So as we keep deploying all this fiber, we said, What are we doing? Why are we not why are we not offering more to the community? Because we're running all this fiber by everybody's house and business. So at that point, we actually really started getting into that and saying offering the community drops to service where we started internet and phones.
1: To be clear, because sometimes I don't think people appreciate that uh, some towns, there are some places where people have extremely poor connectivity, but a city of 13,000, like Traverse City, pretty much everyone has cable service that's in town. A lot of people probably just outside of town have cable service. People probably have some slow DSL availability just about everywhere. So you're not in a situation where you really have what we would call unserved. But okay. you have a lot of people who are probably paying more than they should and getting less than they want, and that's the problem that you're ultimately solving, I'm guessing
0: yep, that's exactly in that in customer service right I mean there was there, that's been the Achilles heel with all of this is just we provide very good customer service and we listen to the customers. And we are able to um, offer what they want, you know, and and price points that they want. And so Traverse City is a very dense population, eight square miles, a very dense 13,000 people. And then it gets very rural outside of those limits. And that's the part where we're going to start expanding to after the citywide push that we're doing right now to cover all of Traverse City proper. And then we're going to get into these more rural areas that just only have DSL or Starlink or something like that. And so to really give a if you have DSL at this point that's in pretty much an abandoned market you know um just just ready to be upgraded and so we're 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 looking actively looking at the surrounding region as well
1: you uh then begin building in a, an initial phase and this is something that i think Uh, I would like to see more local governments do, particularly local governments that do not have a municipal electric department. Um, And I I feel like, as you know, most of the cities that have built citywide fiber networks have municipal electricity as well. Uh, But the ones that don't, Sometimes they're in this sense of like oh i don't know if we want to take this big risk, or we don't know if the feasibility numbers are right and i and i my answer is usually you know you should build it in phases and and there's reasons why it's more efficient to to not build in phases, but there are some pretty good reasons to start with a phase one and then reconsider and figure out how to really attack the larger problem uh, so that's what you decided to do. How come you moved in that direction
0: uh we moved in that direction, building it out in phases um, for logistical reasons we wanted to make sure you know pricing was set properly um technology was set properly we didn't want to just immediately go let's deploy citywide and then find out we had to make all these adjustments across the entire city. So we we wanted to get some metrics back from both our business community and our residential community first before we decided to deploy and, and kind of iron out all the kinks. And you know, so we launched um, in 2020 was our original launch. And right now, um, and we launched two phases: one geared towards the business community downtown, one towards the residential community, kind of on the outskirts of the downtown area. And we gained all the metrics that we could. Now we are in a a pivotal point where we're launching to the rest of the community but we were able to get that um you know data points and 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 information from the from the customers to be able to know What we should do for the rest of the community, and so we've tweaked now our model to be able to serve the better, the better good by those, you know, first phase initiatives that we did, which I will say was an astounding success because we just reported on our financial statements that we are um, in the in the black already. So I mean it's it's been a it's been a good run all around, and given such a small footprint that we're doing, I mean that's that's wonderful news. We're ahead of schedule, ahead of time, and ahead of budget. So
1: when you say in the black, so that would count just the the deployment of that phase the just that phase there. yep yeah. so anything
0: else that we do on on the phase two infrastructure sure we're going to have to add some fiber technicians and some scalability there but the reality is like you know outside of the capital investment that we're going to make every new customer that we we hook up goes back to debt to repayment um mm-hmm. at this point and so from that standpoint it's really a solid business plan and a lot of people do phases too, and, and and we'll probably like compartmentalize the rest of the city into different phases, because you can get into demand aggregation right so where everybody that wants the service you you know we have distribution areas and we can push these and make the community compete where we're going to go next right and so it really gets the community involved in the project and. I mean it's their network. They're the ones pushing for. It. And if they can get an area or a neighborhood or something that that, that they, they want first and they get everybody and you've got these local champions out there pushing their service and they get everybody in their neighborhood to sign up, uh we'll we'll move to that area next in, in ahead of another neighborhood, just because of you you getting these prescribers. And so you're the moment you are able to hook turn up services in that area. You've got all this, you know, influx of business right then and there. Um, And so I think that phased approach really works out for a lot of other communities just because you're getting prescribers. And so you know that your demand is there already before you build it and you don't have to feel the dreams that, you know, if I build it, will they come?
1: This is where it gets a little bit awkward, right? Because as as a public power entity rooted in the community... You need to serve everyone ultimately. That's like in your DNA, and you're familiar, obviously, with the challenges of some households like being less advantaged and able to take advantage of it. How do you wrestle with uh, the families that you know need uh, a little bit more support? Obviously, right now we have the ACP, which I don't know if um, if you're involved with some of the. I know some municipalities uh, are still trying to figure out, given uh, the way it's going to wind down here pretty soon and also just the sheer number of people sometimes they just do their own thing rather than doing that but what is your like digital equity focus uh, as you're taking on a herculean task of building the network
0: that is something we're very cognizant of because you're right there are different levels of community um, um, people that live inside the community at different uh, points of their you know economic careers if you will that may need some assistance with that. And so we've looked at part, we, we do um, take advantage of the ACP program and it's and I know it's about to wind down and they're spinning that down to some level. And so we're wondering what's next, but we're also working with like the local school system to um, some, some one initiative that we have ongoing right now that we're trying to like connect the dots on is working with them. If they have children in school, can we somehow subsidize the, the rates to their home so they can actually do homeschooling and have inter- access to internet if they're not even homeschooling just for research, right? And so, but that now you're only looking at, you know, households with children, but how administration do you look at other low income housing and be able to facilitate that from a broadband perspective? And that's a really big challenge from a municipal standpoint. So, I mean, um, defining a low income rate, it's easy to do, but how do you police that, right? How do you implement that and make sure it's not being taken advantage of? Um, Mm -hmm. um, Because we do know that that happens from time to time. And so that's, those are things that. That we have to work through the logistics as we move forward throughout it and and we're kind of studying what other other communities are doing. And so we're we're gonna adapt. I hope something comes in place of the ACP or they keep extending it because that's a wonderful program for this exact you know initiative.
1: Yeah, especially when you're just getting built up. I mean that's where you're in your most vulnerable state and it is the hardest uh, time to really be supporting, you know, in 10 or 15 years, y'all are be basically rolling in cash. Uh, you know, you know, I don't, and you don't you never want to hear anyone say that, right. It's just like, it's a kiss of death, but, um, but it's, it is the case that um, you know, when the network is more mature, you've paid off a lot of the fixed investments uh, then you have more freedom. It is extremely hard to deal with that when you're still trying to figure out how to pay all your, your employees, your contractors, you're trying to find new people to grow. It's just, a, it's a big headache. Um, yeah. And
0: that's, I mean, you, that's a, that's such a sweet spot that you hit though because you're right being a muni right we're non-profit so once we hit that sweet spot it's what do we do with this we have to have enough to be able to run the network right and, and reliable real in a reliable and safe manner and but at that point then it's if we're still accru- accruing too much cash we have no we either have to expand or lower our rates and so i mean that that's a good position to be in being a non-profit and so and not to mention the local investment goes right back into the community and that's something right we're not so when you're investing in TCLP fiber or you know or any muni that's local or nonprofit that's doing serving your community it's it's the dollars are going right back into the local community it's not going somewhere else from some other you know big telecom that's out there it's right here staying right in the community going right back in reinvesting right into your infrastructure that you live in your backyard and that I mean it's a, it's really a win-win-win for everybody involved in this.
1: Now, uh, one of the things I think is worth noting because uh I we just discussed it briefly before we started recording is that in some uh setups uh cities will establish a new department and they'll have like just employees that are dedicated only to the uh you know the wastewater or the uh the solid waste or you know the broadband or whatever but in your case, you have people that are cross trained everywhere, from what I can tell. Uh, and so, you know, how has that been working out? Is that something that uh, has been challenging or that has been rewarding? Like, what, how do you reflect on that? It's been very
0: rewarding. I'll, I'll start off by saying that, and I'll kind of segue into why is because you know we did study that in the very infancy of the project Um, and I'm not talking about the dark fiber anchor tenants that we hooked up I'm talking about the lit fiber you know telecom service that department that we then deployed Um, so the reality is that we looked at maybe potentially spinning up another department underneath the city umbrella that manages the fiber the problem with that is that now you've got another wires company that that has to maintain wires and so here we are deploying electrical and then we're then another department's going to come back and run a wire right underneath there, right next to that in the ground, right? It, economies of scale didn't make sense, right? We main we are a wires company. We can easily manage the fiber wire just as we can the electrical. Obviously, the electrical wires more dangerous, right? But. We have the capacity to manage you know wires and so from that standpoint it made sense to locate to keep the fiber infrastructure within traverse city Light and power the electrical branch of the um, local municipal city infrastructure um that being said why we didn't then turn around and sub out the departments into various different reasons inside and we kept it within the technical department of itself is because you know internally we've been uh my team um has been running you know those types of services internally for into our internal clients which are the other staff members right you start working at Lighting power we run wires to your office to hook up your internet and your phone and and then we do everything else support your monitors laptop printers all that fun stuff right this is just an extension of that where we're running it now you know to the next block over but we don't have to support your laptop and all these other things. We just have to make sure your internet and phone works. Right. And we're using ideally. Yeah. Right. (laughs) I mean, you'd be surprised. We definitely get support calls, you know, like, you know, about laptops that crash and stuff like that. Right. And actually we do typically, if we have the capacity and or time, go to the extra step to help them, help out yeah, customers. That that's happens. what
1: I would expect. Yeah. That,
0: right. And that's not something the incumbents would do, you know, at all. It's like you got your speed, that's it. And so we are going that extra mile already. And that's why I think our customers fell in love with TCLP fiber, but, um, you know, I, I just think that just continued on uh, of a technical infrastructure, just kept it local, kept it within the technology department. And we use all the same. I think it's it's, it's paramount to know that we use all the same equipment for both electrical and, and fiber. Right. So the electrical companies is on the same network than our fiber. We VLAN everything off so it's all secure and it's all locked down, but it's the same back end. And so from that perspective, it doesn't make any sense to try to relocate somewhere else because we have the scalability within that department just to keep expanding.
1: Sure. Now, as we're winding down the interview, I did want to cover a couple other things. One is that um, talking about the benefits, and so you know, this is typically again building the network is the hardest phase, right? I feel like in in five years, uh, your job gets a lot easier. Hopefully, sooner than that. <laughs> but um, you know, as you're as you're thinking here, you know, it's December. Um, you know, this is the shortest day of the year right now. I think as we're recording. <laughs> You're trying to get motivated to get out of bed you know and uh what are you thinking in terms of how this is like benefiting the community like what what is there that's happened that has made it made it clear to you that this was the right decision
0: you know there was a story um we kind of launched our phase one right during the pandemic and that was problematic because the governor at the time called a a standstill you know and so we kind of pulled all of our construction workers off the project during construction um, she then came back and said, "Well, if you're building out telecom networks, you can continue because those are needed during this time frame." So we were able to remobilize and re, re- get going. But uh, once we were able to actually get people online and connecting, and we saw a huge increase in our in our residential take rate because everybody was at home, people were working from home, um, they weren't going into work, uh, businesses were operating out of their house. I mean, everything went to the house. And so one of the stories that I hear that I, I really fell in love with was um, um, what is, what's, what's happening during the pandemic without people being able to go to the school and, and kids being able to interact, you know, and, and play on the playground and stuff like that. And um, there was a couple little pop-up um, facilities, uh, houses that were their teachers were hosting like some kids there as like smaller educational stuff once they were a- cleared to do so, but um, they weren't fully returning to school in their entirety yet. And, but they were doing these little, um, Covid free zones where kids can come and actually learn in a, in a smaller little classroom, maybe ten kids in a house setting, right? And they were using TCLB fiber to do this, and so that to me was just a love story that I that I that I absolutely loved because it was like we're still getting somewhat of a smaller benefit of a normalized life for our children. Granted, it's not at the big playground and everything, but they're able to go to somebody's house, use our service to actually learn and, and educate, you know, and, and and better themselves, but still get to interact with each other. And and I that was when I knew like we're doing the right thing in this community.
1: And nonetheless you faced pushback. And so you know I don't want to get lost in this, but you know, any sort of that's an easy conversation
0: to get lost in, right? I mean, <laughs> we all know this. So,
1: and so, I'm curious. You know, we we're seeing more networks still being launched. People and cities are are considering this. What 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 advice do you have for folks to try and deal with that? And and wh- how can you prepare people for that onslaught from a, a company that may never have even sent people to your community before? Suddenly, now is sending high level people to tell you you're making a terrible mistake.
0: <laughs> which, which absolutely happened. That is absolutely what happened. And I tell people that I get into this, stay the course, right? I think it's easier to convince a you know a, a board or a city commission, you know, get four no four no votes to shut the project down than it is to compete with a nonprofit. And that's the angle that a lot of our incumbents take. Stay the course. You're going to get negative pushback. You're going to get negative feedback. You're going to get them people telling you you shouldn't be doing this. We can do it better. We can do it. We can deploy technology quicker. But the reality is, stay the course. I guarantee you, in a couple of years, you'll be happy that you did because you will have local control of an asset that is now geared towards your entire community. And and there are, you know, like, like your uh, podcast and others um, obviously I think interviewed Bob Knight and um, Kim McKinley on American association of association of public broadband, right. That's another resource, but like there's resources out there that can help you navigate those and, and look at, but, but stay the course, do not be distracted Mm -hmm. by this anti-government anti-gon slogans that you'll see because the truth is it's a lot easier than you think it is.
1: Right. Although I do think um, you'll agree with me. Um, Make sure you're staying the course if you've given it real study. And, you know, as you know, there's a lot of claims. There's a lot of claims of failure. Many of them are lies, but there are some communities that have not done their homework and have gotten into trouble.
0: I, let me let me reiterate: stay the course as long as you've done your homework and it makes sense. Don't just throw money at something that you've never studied or you never looked at just because you think you can build it and it'll happen. At least do the forefront, do your feasibility study, do your business plan, make the business case. And, and one of the things that I want that I really want to iterate is everybody gets caught up in the telecom side, and, and what I mean by the internet side of this. But the reality is there's a lot of infrastructure needs. Like we're working with the local police department to lease them our fiber and and start up a, a security. Camera as a service, right? Where we're gonna we're gonna offer. There's revenue. There's revenue streams that you can get off of that network that you that don't just involve broadband and phones, right? Or mm-hmm. or TV if you're doing that. Um, so just make sure you're putting you you identify all those key niches up front, and then and that that helps pad those revenue streams as you're moving forward, and so you can actually get get that coming in. So don't rush into it, study it. But, but, but once you have a solid plan, stay that course, stick with it because you'll tell everybody will come out. That's against government owned networks telling you, you can't do it, but they're, they're afraid of it. And that's really what it is.
1: Now you said something and I, I can't let you go without, without asking about this because you are the chief technology and information officer for the entire utility. I sometimes hear this claim. Um, Internet is so hard. Electricity is easy. Uh, And so that's why electric utilities shouldn't get into it. And I always laugh because my answer is always like electricity still kills people when you mess it up. Like electricity is like, is a lot harder than you think. And so I'm just curious as someone who has to work with both of these things day in and day out, how do you respond to someone that says the internet is really hard and electricity is super easy?
0: Electricity is infinitely more difficult to supply and demand in a safe and reliable manner than than broadband is, it just is. I mean, most pre us doing telecom, we were doing IT in this, in our internally hooking up customers, you know, our internal customers, our staff members, right? Our HR, our, our finance director, all these people on internet. I mean IT, IT's happening internally everywhere. If you think about it like that, and you just say, Oh, so now I'm gonna remove the the roof and just expand it next door. Imagine that's just a building next door. Internet's an easy thing. Electricity is hard and it's dangerous and it's and it's gruesome work, you know, and and, and, and we have dedicated linemen that support that, but it is, it's very dangerous. It's a very, it's a very hard initiative. And um power contracts, how you're generating power, how that's all happening, those take years and years to negotiate and understand. And internet's just an extension of services that your IT team was already doing. And so do not let people think that internet is more difficult than power, because that's not the case.
1: Well, Scott, it's been a long time coming, but I'm really glad we we're able to record this. Thank you so much for your time today.
0: Absolutely, Christopher. It's been a wonderful time chatting with you, and I look forward to hearing from you in the future. Thank you, everybody.
1: Sounds good. And then also you're a board member. I I didn't mention this, but you are a board member and one of the founding folks behind the American Association of Public Broadband, uh, now with the executive director of Gigi Sohn. And so if listeners haven't heard of that, they should go check that out.
0: Yes, please do. That is something that uh, we're all very proud of. And Gigi has been a wonderful addition to that uh, leadership team there. And she's been doing wonderful, wonderful, wonderful things on that front. So look forward to a lot to come in 2024 in regards to that. Great. Thank you. Thank you.
1: We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at communitynets.org
0: slash broadband bits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow communitynets.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast